0: And today, we have a wonderful speaker who has been an instrumental part of the center for at least the past 10 or more years. Please welcome Reverend Connie Neeson. Good morning. Here I am back again. So if you missed it last week, um, Reverend Patrick, Dr. Patrick is in Brazil. I think they arrive home very late tonight the contingent of 35 of them who are on pilgrimage to see John of God. So uh, I filled in last week, and I'm here again this week. And, uh, but I'm on the platform by myself today. I was so grateful to have Saskia and Randy last week. Um, yes. They really represented the youth of our movement very, very well. So let us come together now into this space into the silence and the stillness and remember there is only one, one power, one presence, one source of all that is. It is the substance of life in and through and as all creation, that includes you, that includes me, that includes everyone. And so I claim this day that I am fully equipped for absolutely everything that comes my way. For I am sourced with spirit, intuitively guided with the only voice that I hear. And that is the voice of God, that in its wisdom and its intelligence, it knows all, it sees all, it is all. So I know that everywhere I go and whatever I do and whatever I'm called to do I'm never alone for I am always in the presence of the absolute the ideal and I clear myself of anything so that I may be that clear and hollow vessel to receive the imprint the impress of the highest truth To be radiated through me as light, as love, as great joy, as peace with a depth that has no limit. For I know I am called this day to discover who I am in a greater way, to remain alert, awake, aware, and alive with the presence of God in me. And that's enough that's enough this day and I know that this presence extends out from each and every one of us and goes to whichever spot on this planet in this universe where it is called and there's a felt need so I know that everyone in the Philippines is blessed by our blessing here today that they have everything required to restore their homes, their lives, their families, their loved ones to the spiritual perfection that they recognize. And that wherever there may be strife in this world, that same blessing is bestowed. And I know that that the love of God that embraces our dear friends on pilgrimage sees them home safely into the newness that awaits them here in Edmonton. And so I release these words with a sense of deep gratitude. Gratitude for all who make this day possible. In real time, the volunteers who cleared the sidewalks and made a path for us to easily enter our building this day. For the volunteers on the inside, who prepared our sanctuary. For the musicians who opened our hearts. Now and in 2010, And for that presence of spirit that is my continuous companion in life, I let this be and I claim it by saying, and so it is. So it is beginning to look a lot like something else out there. You might have been overjoyed, as I think Elizabeth was, sounds like she's a cross-country skier and maybe does some outdoor sports, Oh except I know she likes the sun too, so (laughs) mixed message. You might have been a little bit sad, it might have been a little bit challenging to get around, or you might have just been totally neutral. If you've lived here for any length of time, you know this day comes. As it is written in Matthew 24:42, keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. And we do not know what day the snow is coming either sometimes. We've had glimpses of it, warns us to prepare for us. And if we are well prepared, if we've put the snow tires on the car and we've made all those adjustments to the fluids and all the other things that it needs, we might feel a little bit assured that we'll be okay. If we've pulled out the socks, the boots, the coats, and, you know, taken them to the cleaners, or bought new ones, or prepared everyone, then we might feel okay the day the snow arrives. But if we haven't made those preparations, then that first day of a big snowfall can feel quite a bit different. I remember Reverend Connie Phelps, who is now in Kenya with her husband, Patrick, When her husband, Patrick, first arrived in Canada, I think it was winter time, and he said to me, I knew about snow. She told me about snow. I knew I would need boots and a warm coat, because he'd lived in Kenya all his life, right? He said, but she didn't tell me about ice. (laughs) And she's standing behind him saying, yes. But sometimes when we have no concept of something like ice on the ground, even when somebody tells us, we still don't get it. There are sometimes events that we just can't prepare for. Like this super typhoon that hit the Philippines. All over the world there are disaster, you know, crews ready to go and provide the relief and the support. But mobilizing them is one thing, but how do you prepare yourself to be in that situation where a city, I think the size of Edmonton or larger, is is just totally obliterated? The title of my talk today is Soul Gravity, and I'll talk about what that means to me. And I also want to talk about this act of preparation. Michael Jordan, you know, the famous basketball guy from years before, said, prior, proper, perfect preparation prevents poor performance. Now, say that fast five times. (laughs) Prior, proper, perfect preparation prevents poor performance. Now, he was talking about competition and sports, and he was really big on winning, and winning he did much of. But I think there's something we can draw on the idea of prior, proper, perfect preparation. Because when tough moments roll around, we want to be able to do whatever is needed so that we're not needing to worry or waver and wonder if we can or can't. This week, among the many things that I'm preparing for, is I'm preparing for a christening ceremony. A ceremony to welcome, to name and to celebrate the arrival of a child to a couple who have buried themselves in my heart. I'm really looking forward to it next weekend. And just as I do any time I'm asked to serve in my ministerial capacity, because I really enjoy doing the marriages, the memorials, the mentoring, and the naming, and even joining you here on the platform this day. I've already shopped for the christening, the certificate, the card, a nice premier quality beeswax candle that will be a symbol of the light that shines within this child, a little gift for the the young one. But I will also prepare myself this week, my inner self, to stand before this child, this infant, the parents, the grandparents, the family and the friends, to be that symbol of the presence within that created this life in the image and likeness of its own perfection and completeness. I will cleanse my mind as best I can of all errors of belief I may carry with me yet so that I may be that clear hollow vessel to serve as a channel for the grace of God to flow through my head, my heart, my hands in performing this ritual knowing that the words I speak will have all the power of the universe guiding them and supporting them, trusting that my actions in anointing this child will be of the purest intention, recognizing the living spirit within him and calling forth the expression of that divine spirit as love. That nothing in me interferes or obstructs the journey of this soul as it unfolds in divine order and divine time with this child. For I know that my intentions and that my words are indeed powerful and they get absorbed into the soul of this child and they will create forever and ever until he may consciously make another choice. That might supersede my words I don't know but I want to show up as my best for this child and if I can truly accomplish this I know that the deep opening within my heart will be a beacon of light opening the hearts of those there who are willing to do the same does that make me special not really it's just my demonstration to myself and those who might take notice of a vow that I took to remember that the source of all life is one and that, it is con- and that continually, continually preparing myself to show up in the world awake, aware, alive, alert, and attentive to receive this presence and to recognize and to realize and to reveal to myself and others who are interested that the presence of this living spirit is within us all individualized as each one of us, yes, but the ever-present source of our good and our joy that we are all intended to have. That is the vow that I took as a minister, and that is how I choose to show up in life. And anybody can choose to make that kind of a vow. John 14.27 said, Joy that the world cannot give. Joy that the world cannot give is the joy that's inside of us. And there is nothing outside of us that can bring that joy to life more than recognition of the spirit within us. And it always comes to those who wait for it and make room within themselves. And that's where the preparation comes in. My personal reason for doing this work is that someone did it for me. Someone used their light in this world to illuminate my path, awakening me to the light that is within me. I felt called, as many of us do, to do the same for someone else. Preparations are underway, a different sort of preparation are underway in our outer world at this time. Preparation for the season of Christmas, and the snow really pushes that into high gear, doesn't it? we see it in the mall we see it in the seasonal aisles of all the stores that we like to shop at the christmas tree in front of city hall i think was lit last night what preparations are you making have you got shopping lists and gift lists to-do lists have you been to a staff christmas party yet have you got tickets to go see the christmas carol Maybe you're going to get tickets to come to one of the events happening here at the center. Maybe, I know, you're waiting for the next great tech toy to come out on the market for the Christmas season. Maybe you're booking a trip to escape the madness or to embrace the snow in the mountains. Are you baking? Are you decorating? The Christian world is preparing for this symbolic arrival of a child as well that will be named and recognized as a savior and a redeemer. Through the eyes of children, Christmas looks like gifts. Gifts that are purchased and wrapped and exchanged. And we do that in honor of the gold, frankincense, and more that the the three wise men brought to Jesus. Lights will be strung on trees from Eve's troughs and in some cases around anything in the yard that doesn't move in remembrance of the star that shone in the east over Bethlehem to direct the shepherds to the site of this miracle birth. Evergreen trees, symbolic of eternal life, will be decorated and brought inside of our homes. The children's version of Christmas is really a sentimental preparation for Christmas. Waiting for the birth of the baby Jesus, the Savior, has somehow in our culture this day morphed into the coming of Santa Claus, the bearer of gifts, and the one that will make us happy and joyful forever and ever. And we have all these emotions associated with Christmas. Emotions that sometimes pull us away from the real meaning of what Christmas is all about. For others, there is the celebration of Hanukkah, the recent celebration of Diwali, Kwanzaa, and Ramadan. Each culture, each spiritual tradition has a festival of love and light that is celebrated. As science of minders, you know, we honor and we celebrate every tradition. And if we did that fully and partied every month with all of them, we'd be busy like year round. Can you imagine that? But Christmas, metaphysically speaking, is the recognition of the birth and the incarnation of the Christ consciousness within us. The Christ Consciousness is a universal presence. It is the embodiment of the divine within us. And it comes to all of us, and it has come to people of all ages, all of the time. It's not a person. Christ is not a person, it's a principle. No one is predestined to be a Christ because we all receive this presence within us. And the human gives way to the, the divine Okay, Jesus, the man, became the living embodiment of Christ. He became the example, the way-shower. And so the human in him gave way to the divine, and the man gave way to the God-presence, and the flesh gave way to the spirit. And the will of division gave way to the will of unity, so much so that Jesus is reported to be able to have embodied the divine so much, to manifest the Christ's nature within him so much that he did these miracles that are reported in the Bible. The realization that God is personal to all who are receptive to the divine influx allows us to be in constant communication with this divine companion. I wanted to share a little story with you, and uh, it is called um, you know well it, oh, I can't remember the exact name of it. It was um, the best way to travel the road, something to that effect. And it goes, Once upon a time, a king had a great highway built. And before he opened it to the public, he had a contest to see who could travel the highway best. And on the appointed day, people came from far and wide. Some had fine chariots and various implements to get around on, and some used their feet. But no matter what vehicle they used, all of them complained that there was a large pile of rocks on the side of the road in one particular spot that hindered their progress. But at the end of the day, one lone traveler crossed the finish line, wearily walked over to the king. He was smudged with dirt, but he spoke with respect and he handed the monarch a bag of gold. I stopped along the way to clear a pile of rocks, he said, and under it was a bag of gold. Can you find the rightful owner? Solemnly, the king replied, you are the rightful owner. You have earned the gold by winning the contest. For he who travels the road best is he who makes the road smoother for those who follow and reaps the reward for doing so. There is a creative force constantly at work in all of us and all of creation. And it is this presence of spirit, the mind of God, shining consciously in the minds and parts of those who recognize it. To those who ignore it, it will seem non-existent, existent, although it is there. And it is leaving us in darkness and ignorance when we aren't in recognition of it. And we stay living in the realm of our material thoughts and our rational mind. I've recently, uh, and still currently, teaching the course in Practical Mysticism, which is based on uh, Teresa of Avila's work, Entering the Castle. Well, no, the Interior Castle. Carolyn Mace wrote a book, Entering the Castle, that builds upon ter- uh, Teresa's work. And it's really about how to make this journey this spiritual journey into the awareness of that Christ consciousness that's within us. It was a little confusing to me when I came into Science of Mind Studies uh, and and started to read and, and, and work with Ernest Holmes' work. And he has done all of his preparation and he's written the book. And here I am reading the book. And he's telling us that you know, God is everywhere and God is in you and in me and it's the presence within us and it's the creative source of everything that is and, and and just, you know, by my recognition and recognizing that God and I are one and, you know, I can make anything happen because I've got God with me. That was a really big idea for me to embrace coming out of a place of great fear and anger and resentment and bitterness Um, we don't need to go into the details, (laughs) but I wasn't quite ready to jump into that idea with both feet and begin to demonstrate. Ernest Holmes tells us, just start where you are, be with where you are, with what you know, and just begin, and you will start to demonstrate and prove this principle to yourself. And sure enough, over time it's happened. As I continue to read the work of of other mystics, we realize that a mystic is someone who just realizes these spiritual truths. They don't have to reason them out. It's like they're downloaded with this information. They don't have to go through anyone. And that's what made them the mystics of the Middle Ages such scary people to the papacy and the kings and people that were in charge because they wanted people, their servants, their you know, peasants to go through them to get to God and pay a little something as they go and the mystics knew that they had a direct connection with God and Teresa wanted, you know, her her sisters in the convent Saw her having these mystical, spiritual, visionary kinds of experience, and they were going like, Whoa, like we want some of that too. And she wanted to share that with them. So she set out to write and share with them the seven levels that she felt or the sort of the seven steps that she felt she went through to come to this awareness of her sacred and divine union with that which is already within her and it begins with that clearing of obstacles taking those rocks off the road one by one and when we do that discovering the reward the gift at the center and that is the soul of our being that never knew the pain the agony the resistance, the fear, the anxiety that we've heaped upon it from living our life and listening to untruths in our physical world. I kind of liken the soul as this crystal. And this is the crystal that, uh, for those of you that don't remember, that Reverend Patrick gave to me when he came back from Brazil the last time. So that's sort of in memory of a mem- remembrance of uh, of them in their trip um, the the soul Ernest Holmes tells us and you know every tradition defines it a little bit differently and it's really important in this teaching to understand I think what Ernest Holmes mean and it ha- means and it has the has had the greatest meaning to me in traditional religion a Trinity is described as the father the the Son and the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. In Science of Mind, we also have a trinity and it describes the creative process. It describes the spirit, the absolute presence of God, the soul, which is the creative medium, the place that receives the impress of God's thought and is the storehouse for every thought, for every idea, that has ever occurred that is the potential and possibility for everything that could ever occur as well as all of the thoughts from and beliefs that we pour into it from our own experience in life. That's all in the soul. And then the third part of the Trinity is the form, the experience of this idea. So the soul is the storehouse for every idea that ever was, ever could be. For us individually and collectively. And we have access to all of it. That's huge. Do you know how much energy it would take to store that much information? It's huge. And it's all within us. But there's no place in us that we can find that we can dissect into ourselves and say, oh, this is my soul. We can find a heart, we can find lungs, we can find a stomach, we can find all sorts of things inside of us. But we don't find a soul, because it is just a presence, an embodiment of all that spirit is. And it gets buried in us, sometimes by our errors in belief, Those are the obstacles that we put in the way of our experience in life. Ken Wilber, who wrote A Brief History of Everything and uh, is kind of the founder and leader in the Integral Spirituality Movement, talks about the levels of awareness and growth and development that we go through to come to this greater understanding of what spirit is and the experience of it to get to that point where there are no obstacles within us to get in the way of the perfect um, expression of spirit through us. And he describes these levels and he talks about it as being like a ladder that we climb and that we, we start really from a place of being asleep and, and not aware and move gradually moving up the ladder through various stages and and coming to that point of awareness. And that in different areas of our life we move up that ladder in different ways. So our moral and ethical self will be at one point on the ladder and our intellectual reasoning will be at another point and our emotional self might be at another point. And that really explains how we can have people showing up in our midst who seem to have great intellectual ability and the ability to hold high public office, but still have their morals and ethics at the bottom rung of the ladder. Not mentioning anybody by name, (laughs) but there's been someone in the news a lot lately and I was speaking to my sister the other day who lives in, Tor- well, she lives in Mississauga and works in one of those big office towers in downtown Toronto for a very big high-powered law firm. So I think she's quite aware of what's going on in her town. And she is blessed with uh, assuming the name Ford as her last name. <laughs> and um, I said, are you going to change your name anytime soon? And she, you know, kind of chuckled. <laughs> anyway. There's an explanation why these things happen and I'm sorry that for this man that it happens in the public realm but we draw to us. There's an energy to this soul that draws to us and that's the gravity part of the soul gravity that our thoughts, our beliefs that are encompassed within this, this soul thing our errors in belief even all of it, the more energy we put into them, the more we practice them, the more we believe in them, the more, the more we just speak of them, the more power we give them, the more gravity they have. And gravity is that attraction of two things to each other. And so when we have errors in belief that are held in our soul, we continually attract those experiences to us. What I've come to recognize for myself in, in doing this work and teaching these courses is that this mystical experience of the awareness of the divine within me sometimes happens in, in glimpses. You get a glimpse of it, you get a peek at it, of it, you get a peak spiritual experience and it's like just getting a, a peek through the window of the possibility that life holds for us. But it takes doing my spiritual work, my preparation to release myself from the obstacles of my error of belief, to clear the path that 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 which is always within me may flow freely through me. And it's not by my choice. I don't choose what day the snow arrives. It's not by my choice which day spirit chooses to enter and fill me with that bliss of its being. But it is my task to prepare myself to be that open, hollow vessel that spirit may enter, that spirit may, may be felt and known by me in a way greater than I have ever imagined before. That, I know, is true. And so... We all can become mystics. We can all become mystics without monasteries, as as Carolyn Mace would say, simply by doing our own spiritual work, by doing what it takes to let go of our, um, of our needs, to show up in, in only a material kind of physical way, but to prepare ourselves to follow the lead of the Christians who are preparing for the arrival of Christmas with their Advent season. That is a time to prepare to bring ourselves into full consciousness for receiving the Christ consciousness. We don't have to wait for Christmas. We don't have to wait for Advent. We can be doing this continually through ourselves, for we do not know when that joy will enter into our being in a way like we've never imagined before. So I'm going to put a little twist on Michael Jordan's words. Prior, proper, perfect preparation is the prerequisite for personal possibility, potential, purpose, and power to be realized and revealed through each and every one of us here and now. Thank you. Namaste.